I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hawkeye Nation podcast, HawkeyeNation.com. Andrew Downs and Rob Howe with you once again. Rob, what's up, man? Another Monday, Andrew, and it's good to hear your voice. I, people had to listen to me by, by myself last week, so I'm <laughs> sure they're going to be happy to to have you back in the seat as well. Hopefully you're feeling better. I am, yes. Thank you. Thank you for uh, for picking up my slack, and, and I appreciate that. I, I listened to the podcast. I enjoyed it very much, uh, so I, I, th- I think you did I think you did, did just you get fine. you sick from eating Twinkies? I, that, that's exactly what happened, yeah. What uh, in the hell? Yeah, so we, um, over here on, on Murph and Andy, on KXNO, the, the radio show that I produce with Keith Murphy and Andy Fails, uh, they've been doing like physical challenges each week, and so finally it was my turn to do something, and that we, you know, we had already done uh, bench press and pull ups and push ups, and I, you know, sit ups weren't weren't real exciting or anything like that. So I said, "Well, I, I can eat. I'll, I'll do an eating contest." And so we kind of zoned in on uh, we uh, we're gonna see if I can eat a box of Twinkies, which is ten Twinkies in ten minutes. And yes, yeah, it sounds like something you could do. It, I'll, I'll tell you this, it sounds a lot easier than it actually is. Uh, so last Friday, or I guess a week ago last Friday, um, I I did it on the air. You can go to Facebook, on, on KXNO's Facebook, and watch me as I just get more and more miserable as I'm eating Twinkies. The first couple tasted good. Uh, the, the middle few were, were a little rough. And man, like the sixth and seventh ones were about the worst things I've ever eaten. And... I, I didn't I didn't get to ten. I only got through seven, and I felt okay. You know, I didn't feel great Friday night. I didn't feel great Saturday, but it was about Saturday uh, evening, about ten o'clock, that it all just like hit me at once, and I was in so much pain in my abdomen, like my my gut hurt so bad. It felt like I was just getting kicked constantly in the stomach, and and kind of in the back too. <laughs> That's awful. And so. Rob, from 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 ten o'clock on Saturday night until Monday afternoon, I didn't sleep a wink, and I guess I hadn't slept since what seven a.m. Monday when I woke up. So I went, you know, more than two full days without sleeping. Um, I couldn't eat anything. I was just, just like writhing around. I couldn't get comfortable at all. 
And so it was uh, it was terrible, especially that Sunday night, that second night of no sleep. I mean, I, I, I barely remember texting you Monday morning telling you I can't do the podcast because I was just delirious at that point. I, I couldn't focus mentally on anything. I couldn't concentrate. Um, it was uh, it was not fun. But finally, it all passed and uh, I got some sleep and, and I, I ate some meals. I took a couple of days off of work and uh, and and now I'm 100 percent. I'm all good. I won't ever eat a let, Twinkie again, I don't think, but um, yeah, let that, that. let that be a lesson to you kids. Do not try that at home. That reminds me of that. Have you seen Super Size Me? Yes, exactly. Yeah, that reminds me of that a little bit when he uh, he got to, you know, the point where the McDonald's was making him, like, physically <laughs> noticeably ill. Yeah, and, you know, uh, it's like you're, you're like cold sweats, and yeah, it was it was not good. Uh, it, it taught my son a good lesson, because he watched the Facebook Live videos that was happening, and so when, on Sunday, when I was like, you know, pretty sick, and he woke up, I said, yeah, dad, you know, daddy's sick. He said, well, maybe you shouldn't have eaten seven Twinkies. <laughs> I said, you're right. You're right, son. And how old is he? He's four? Four and a half, yeah. Well, we have hope then for the future <laughs> that exactly uh, people, right. you know the younger generations are smarter than we are. My 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 real advice to anybody who wants to do an eating challenge like that is if you feel like you're going to throw up, just do it because. If I would have thrown up Friday, it, it would have ruined my Friday afternoon, no doubt. Uh, but it wouldn't have ruined my entire weekend and, and made me miss a couple of days of work and miss this podcast and, and all of that stuff. So uh, <laughs> it was. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you're you're uh, back on your feet and don't 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 let Murph and Andy get you to do things like that anymore i will or try those two clowns i know right i, I will try not to they, they are <laughs> they are persuasive so we'll see what did they do what what were their challenges so uh keith had to do he he tried to do i think we said it it was five pull-ups maybe but he ended up doing more than that maybe it was 10 uh and, and so we brought a pull-up bar in here and, and he was able to do that and he had to do 50 push-ups basically non-stop and, and he did that as well so um so they both completed their challenges. Scott Sipker, who's who comes on our show every once in a while, he started this whole thing. He said he could bench press 225 pounds three times, and we all laughed at him. Um, and so we made this a bet, and then he he couldn't even get it up once. So. <laughs> So I go into the fail. Done. He would not have done well at the combine. No, no, he would not have. Uh, but the, hey, there's a good transition into our big topic of the day. Obviously, right. we're coming off of the the NFL draft, and it was a good draft for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, I guess first of all, Rob, what, what did you think of the format? Obviously, things uh, couldn't be in Vegas with a, a boat ferrying you across the the water or anything like that. Uh, guys couldn't be in the green room and any any of that stuff. But um, they still were able to put on a draft. And, and in a lot of ways, it was similar to the the drafts that we're used to seeing. What? How, how did you enjoy watching the draft? I loved it, man. I loved the you know it, it kind of reflected what we're all going through right now. So I thought it really lent itself to you know even though guys are you know I think Tristan Wirfs and we'll talk about Iowa guys specifically got a nine million dollar signing bonus. It kind of made you know there there was a a sidebar story to his, you know, draft uh, day and his setup. A couple sidebar stories. You had his him rolling out the red carpet for his mom Sarah, uh, that went viral, and then his cat. 
um, on the back of the couch also <laughs> went viral. Those are things that, you know, there would have been good stories in Las Vegas and it would have been neat for those guys to experience that the glitz and the glamour. But, you know, you talk about, you know, um, Roger Goodell's uh, M&M's, Bill Pel- Belichick's dog. I mean, there were just some real, you know, you had uh, uh, Cliff Kingsbury's, you know, mansion or whatever whatever that heck that thing is that he lives in. And I mean, there was just some, it was really just kind of neat. It was just, I thought it was really well done. It was much needed. And I, I think I read either this morning or yesterday that it was the most viewed draft ever. So not surprising at all. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, and like you, I enjoyed the, it wasn't all perfect and it wasn't all smooth, but I, I did enjoy the format. I thought they did a real nice job. And there are, yeah, there. You wonder if there are parts of this, and this is kind of you know all of society. But you wonder if there are things that they will take from this and and move forward in the draft. You know, can can they? get some of the guys in the green room, but then continue to do some of these kind of look-ins on Zoom and, and stuff for the later round guys. Uh, you know, I think if if you're able to do that Friday night and into the weekend, even in a normal draft, it'd be fun to kind of see those living rooms and, and you know have more, more access to maybe the war rooms and things like that. Um, it'll be interesting to see what next year's draft looks like, assuming that the world is, is somewhat back to normal. Yeah, I would agree. With you. I think if there's some way that they could, you know, meld those two together, the because I think they they said they're going to have it in Vegas next year. So, you know, I think they still want to have that where they bring it to a certain city and, and play it up big like that. But like you said, they can also, um, you know, Nate Stanley was taken in the seventh round, and uh, you know, we saw video of what it was like in his living room, and you know, it's there's more emotion you know than just those first round guys it goes all the way through the draft whenever a guy is taken that's a big deal man they put a lot of years of work into it and it means a lot to them to hear their names called so yeah i agree with you if there's a way that they can combine the two the original with what we saw this year all the better yeah, and maybe even better emotion in those later rounds because guys yeah. like that who aren't sure if they're going to get drafted, uh, you know, like the Joe Burrow thing is he's just kind of like, oh, hum, you know, oh, great, I'm the number one pick. Uh, yeah. it, to, to see like Ojemudia who got drafted, I think a little higher than most people expected, and like the reaction there was was really fun. So that, that'll be cool to see. Well, getting into the draft and specifically the Iowa guys, obviously Tristan Wirfs, the, uh, the big story, the number one or the, for the first round draft pick, fell a little bit. Uh, he was the the fourth offensive tackle taken. Uh, I know going into Thursday night, there was a thought that hey, he could be a top five pick, certainly a top ten pick. Did fall out of that that top ten uh, as three other tackles were selected, but finally selected thirteenth by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, and, and just really cool. To I, I I always feel like there's this balance between. The kind of prestige of getting picked real high, or the uh, finding the right fit, or having kind of a cool situation. And Tristan Wirfs, thirteenth, is certainly a, a fantastic draft pick, and nobody's going to poo-poo that. But I think I would rather be going to the Bucks than, than be a top five pick. Yeah, I agree with you, Andrew. And I had written something last week. Just um, I looked at. And I think this is a good illustration of, and Kirk said this a few weeks ago, Kirk Ferentz, Iowa coach Kirk Ferentz, you know, that he was going to call Tristan and AJ and say, listen, you know, 
I know that all these mock drafts are out there and you have the Mel Kuypers of the world telling you where you're going to go, but that's just, that's just a projection. That's just a guess. And when I did, I, I think I looked at like 20 to 25 mock drafts last week and I did it for all the, all the five guys that end up being being drafted from Iowa and I'm not sure any of them were accurate and most of the ones for Werfs had him going either to the Giants at four or uh, Arizona at eight like you said a top 10 pick and it didn't work out that way but what a way to work out to go to a place where he's going to actually win football games right away and get a chance to to you know block for arguably the greatest quarterback to ever play the game and Tom Brady. And then you've got, you know, Gronk to keep everybody entertained there as well. Uh, and Arians is a, a really great players coach and, and he's got the Tampa weather. I mean, he's got a lot going for him. And like I said earlier in the podcast, it still comes with a 9 million plus signing bonus and like a, a 20 something million dollar overall contract. He's fine. And I think like you said, Andrew, it actually worked out better for him than being uh, in New York with a rebuilding team and the giants or Arizona with a rebuilding team with the Cardinals, a chance to go and, and block for the greatest quarterback of all time. And then just be kind of fun, a part of, of the big story in the NFL, be, be part of this fun story of Gronk and, and Brady reuniting down in Tampa. Obviously, they're going all in, uh, going to try to win a championship in these next couple of years. I can't imagine Brady has more than two, maybe three seasons left in him. So uh, they're, they're going to go all in, and, and he's a big part of that. And th- that's going to be fun for him to be a part of a stadium he's used to, obviously. You know, the, a lot of jokes about, uh, you know, a Hawkeye going to Tampa again. Um, uh, and, and so, yeah, as you said, Arian's a good and, coach. Yep. And he's also reunited with Waukee's Anthony Nelson as well, who yes. can kind of show him around down there, who was a rookie last year and who, you know, they went up against each other in practice a lot and they know each other. They're friends. I mean, it's they're just you, 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 the more you get into the story, Andrew, the more positives there are for Tristan Wirfs. It's, it's really, really cool. I think he, he found a really good spot again, 13th pick. Uh, the 10th Hawkeye under Kirk Ferentz to be taken in the first round. I got this from uh, from your stuff, Rob. Uh, and, and if you haven't gone back and looked, Rob has Rob has a, a essentially a, a feature piece on on each draft pick uh, with a lot of numbers and information and quotes and things like that. So uh, check out HawkeyeNation.com for all of that. But yeah, the 10th Hawkeye under Kirk Ferentz to be taken in the first round, the fifth offensive lineman to go in the first round under Kirk Ferentz. Uh, and, and you know, Worfs, I think, helped himself with that combine performance. That's what they talked about a lot was just how, how freakishly athletic he was. Um, and helped himself both in the combine and then obviously being a part of Iowa's program where uh, you know not many coaches are more respected in the NFL than, than Kirk Ferentz is. That pool video, man, that started to make its way again. Yeah. And the, all those weird, the, all those videos where he's just, you're watching a guy who's 6'5", 320 pounds do things that, I mean, he ran a 4'8", 5 at the combine, which is just silly for a guy that's 6'5", and 320 pounds. So, yeah, I think, and Kirk said this when we had him on a Zoom call was it last week or the week before? I can't remember. I think it may have been the week before, but it may have been last week. I can't. I, the days they are just running together. Yeah. Running together. But he said about AJ, who we'll talk about next, and Tristan Wirfs. Their best football is ahead of them. Those guys are only three years out of high school. They had three years of college football. They played as true freshmen. Uh, Wirfs, the first true freshman ever to start at tackle in the 21 years, offensive tackle in the 21 years under Kirk Ferentz. 
I'm interested to see how these guys will do when they can focus on football 24-7 and not be in college and have academic and, and you know, uh, other, uh, you know, t- tasks that they have to complete when they're getting a chance to just do football for their careers. I just, I think both of these guys are really, and we'll, again, we'll talk about AJ more, but I think both of these guys are really going to have a chance to, to, to be impressive and have long NFL careers. I, I agree with you. And I remember Kirk said something similar to that. Uh, it must have been a year or two ago when, when George Kittle really kind of broke out in the NFL. And, and you started to have the people, and, and you know whether or not these I'm not going to make any judgment on these, these fans, but you did have some people, especially on Twitter, being like, well, hey, if he's this good in the NFL, why wasn't he this good at Iowa? And I remember Ferentz saying something to the effect of, you know, they have coaches in the NFL too uh, guys guys do get better when they leave college um and so so i think to that point i think both uh, you're exactly right with both these guys tristan Wirfs and then aj epinesa epinesa man thursday night as as it got later and later i'm just like oh please 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 but uh did not come thursday night had to wait a little bit on friday night even um as Epinesa waited till what the twenty second pick of the second round before the Buffalo Bills picked him up, uh, really was was I think ultimately hurt by a tough combine and then no chance to redeem himself with a pro day. I, I think if he had had a pro day and maybe put up some of those better numbers, uh, it, it may have been a, a, a different situation from him. Um, but again, not the end of the world. The the second round draft pick and the first pick of the draft for the Bills so that's good he'll be treated in Buffalo as though he's the number one pick this year yeah I mean obviously you want to be a first round draft pick and and I know I'm bias here but I think people I think they're, they're he's going to be one of those stories down the road they'll be like how did he last that long in yes. the draft because I don't know if AJ's ever going to be a pro bowl type player but he's going to be a really good NFL player for a long time he's He's still kind of raw, and you know, you think about it. He's only started for one season in college, and um, still, I, I mean, I have it in the story that um, I wrote that you re- you referenced to. You know, his sack numbers. If you look at them as they compare to other Big Ten players in the last like 10 to 15 years. He's up there in like the top five as a guy who only started one year, and you know, as you said, Andrew. The Bills' first pick, it's a great place to go to for a guy like A.J. I, I've known A.J. since he was a sophomore in high school. He's a really down-to-earth, humble kid, and he's going to fit in really well in Buffalo, New York. Which it, you, you talk about Green Bay. You talk about there's a few franchises in the NFL that are college-like, so to speak. Buffalo is one of those places where... It's kind of remote in New York. People think in New York. It's in way northwest New York, and it's kind of its own entity. And he goes there with Ike Betker, Nick Easley, and Micah Hyde. He's got three former Hawkeyes there to help show him the ropes. I just think a great situation. A defense that's really been good the last few years took a step forward last year. And now with the Patriots, and we talked about this earlier with Brady and Gronk and, and the Patriots perhaps taking a step back, it may open things up for Buffalo to make a move in that division. And A.J. and Tristan both having a chance to have a lot of success as a te- you know, for their teams early 
early in their NFL careers. And that's you don't want to lose a bunch of games earlier in your career, even if you got a bunch of money. These guys will get a bunch of money and still have a chance to have, you know, be on successful teams. Yeah, you, you think about uh, a guy like Desmond King, who had a great college career, and then for whatever reason, the scouts got got a little too cute when, when looking at his draft prospects. And then you see what he's doing uh, for the Chargers right now. And I think you're exactly right with Epinesa. There, there's going to come a day, you know, three years from now, where some Big Ten college you know fan is watching the NFL and saying, "Man, Epines is a beast, and he was a beast at Iowa. He had to have been a you know top fifteen pick." And then you know Google it and see he went you know twenty second in the second round and think, "What the hell were they thinking?" Uh, he's he's just a beast. You have to just look at the film. It's I feel like too often they get caught up in the in the measurables and the combines and the interviews and uh, you know they they all kind of a a narrative starts to form about a player and they start to forget about the the actual important thing of playing football and I feel like that's kind of what happened to Epinesa this year. Yeah, I agree with you, Andrew, and I think you know there's that there's that um, you speak in narratives or just kind of uh, terms that we know about, and copycat league is one of those terms that you get with the NFL. Whenever teams have success, or there's you know positions that are having success in a certain way, other teams try to replicate that, and the kind of the 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 trend right now in the NFL is to have quickness chase young like edge rushers that's why chase young and and he's I think I I love chase young I think he He's going to be a great NFL player for what he does. You know, Jadavian Clowney, guys like that. But AJ said this in his interview with Buffalo Media the other night. He patterns his game after after Watt, you know? And, you know, Watt is a type of guy who's a bigger, heavy-handed guy who does it that way with with force, with with strength, with overpowering offensive linemen. And that's the type of defensive end A.J. is. He's not a speed rusher. And that seems to be the trend in the NFL now. Instead of a J.J. Watt, you're looking for a Chase Young. But guys like J.J. Watt are still really successful in the NFL. And I, I think that's what dropped A.J. And it's unfortunate because I think teams are going to kick themselves for, for going with that copycat with that replication type trend instead of going for a guy who's really good at playing football it it also seems like for whatever reason uh, teams think like if they don't get a hall of famer in the first round they failed somehow as though if you know getting a 10-year player uh, who's who's really (laughs) solid is is something terrible Uh, you know so many of these guys are going to end up being bust Uh, I saw a thing that was um, there are more hall of famers who were undrafted free agents than who were number one overall picks Um, so uh, you know, somebody over the last week was saying, "Well, you know, these NFL guys, these these guys really know what they're doing." And I said, "Well, sometimes, right? Sometimes they know what they're doing. When they're right, they look really smart. They look dumb a lot too." Um, third, third Hawkeye to be drafted, Michael Ojemudia. Uh, to me, he went a little earlier than than expected. I guess I wasn't expecting his name to get called Friday night, Rob. And and when I saw that it was, I was super excited. He was the 13th pick of the third round, 77th pick overall, and he goes to a, another kind of cool situation. Situation joining Josie Jewell and Noah Fant uh, over in Denver. Yeah, and so you know, John Elway tweeted out some nice things about Michael in terms of what they saw in him. And uh, great kid, man. He he. I'm so happy for Michael. He was a guy who was really overlooked in recruiting. Um, Two star kid. 
You know, stop me if you've heard this story before. Defensive backs at Iowa, Phil yeah. Parker, is just, uh, he's amazing. I One of the most underrated coaches, I think, in the country uh, in terms of coaching and developing guys and having an eye for talent. And uh, they came in late on Michael and ended up being, uh, it was it was Iowa and Indiana. His brother played at Michigan. He's a, he's a Michigan guy. He wanted to go to Michigan. Michigan didn't throw, you know, didn't look at him. Uh, ends up at Iowa. Really struggled at times in his career and really didn't start to, to you know get his feet on the ground really till his red shirt junior year and then just really took off from there and a guy we talked about Andrew with the NFL they like those testing numbers they like those measurables he went to the senior bowl stood out there then went to the combine helped himself there really helped himself in you know before uh things got shut down for uh COVID-19 and and teams couldn't really get a look at guys and I think that hurt some guys but Michael really helped himself before that long 6'2 long limbed uh, I think he's a guy that can play multiple positions in the defensive backfield can help you on special teams uh, and and, uh, I think Denver's a really good spot for him that you know Denver is uh, a team that's been pretty good defensively but needs to catch up offensively and then they certainly went all out on the, on uh, the offensive side of the football Michael was one of the few guys they took defensively so I think he'll get a chance there you know, and it's it's cool. You you mentioned Phil Parker and and kind of what he's done. Uh, Iowa, you know, it's we're it's tight end you, and it's offensive line you. But man, it, it's a bit of a D back factory as well. That's that's five drafted in the past four years with Ojemudi and Stone this year. You had Imani Hooker last year, Josh Jackson eighteen, Desmond King in seventeen, uh, and guys who are are making big big moves in the NFL. Obviously, you have a bunch of guys before that um, in the Ference era. Uh, it's it's really been kind of fun. I mean, what a couple of what three defensive backs of the year in the Big Ten of the last several years uh, a Thorpe winner and a should have been Thorpe winner and Jackson Jackson I think uh, I was defensive back field and and the, the coaching and the recruiting in in those positions uh, is is underrated I think and and I think we all appreciate what it is but I do think nationally and, and maybe in the NFL it's it's not quite seen as uh, as good as it really is. And you look, Andrew, at those three guys that won Big Ten Defensive Back of the Year, Micah Hyde, Desmond King, and Josh Jackson. Iowa was their only Power Five offer. I mean, that's Jeez. that. You, you look at that and you say to yourself, how does that happen? Well, it happens with being able to identify guys in recruiting that, that you see the raw tools there. And then when they get to campus, develop developing them through Chris Doyle's strength and conditioning program and Phil Parker's ability to coach them up. And yeah, you're right. The list goes on and on. I think it's 16 uh, defensive backs drafted in in coach Ferentz's 21 seasons. That's just, yeah. Offensive line, as you mentioned earlier, 10 of, of Kirk Ferentz's first round picks, five of them, are offensive line, but boy, you look at the depth of a position. I think defensive back is it. Yeah, I, I would agree, and and you talk about just like uh, the number of guys I was I was putting into the draft each year, um, and the teams kind of the the name programs around them uh, that that are doing the same thing. the The development of this team uh, of these players is the the diamonds in the rough 
that they're able to find in recruiting and then develop through Chris Doyle's strength program, but also coaching. Uh, it's just been it's been incredible. It's been fun to watch, and it's it's why they kind of had this resurgence in in the late stages of Kirk Ferentz's career. Um, what the most wins in the last five seasons, all of that stuff. Um, had to wait to the seventh round then to hear any other Hawkeye names called, but glad we did hear hear these last two called. Geno Stone obviously uh, came out a year early. He's picked by the Ravens with the fifth pick of the seventh round, 219th overall. Uh, and here's another just big stat. He, he becomes the ninth Hawkeye in the last three drafts to get drafted with eligibility remaining. It, again, for a developmental program where you're taking two-star guys and putting them into the NFL, you, you, you maybe not expect that to happen in three seasons or you know in a redshirt season and three seasons on the field. Uh, but, but Iowa is putting juniors into the NFL at a clip that uh, I don't think anybody ever saw coming. Yeah, and I think that's there are a couple factors there, Andrew. That and I've had people ask me this on social media and the message boards, and I think it's it's what we talked about that, that identifying guys in recruiting that maybe other teams aren't seeing, you know, what's there uh, from a raw ability standpoint, then developing those guys, and then just a trend. I think in the NFL, there are guys just leaving earlier now. I think CTE certainly has played into that. Um, you know, you're, you're required to stay three years in college. That's you think about that when in the, in the game of football, that's three years where you're taking a pounding. I think guys are, are looking that you look at a guy like Geno Stone. He knew he wasn't going to be an early round draft pick, but it was time for him to move on, lower mileage on his body, go to the NFL and try to make some money and try to make it. And uh, I think NFL teams are more willing to develop these guys now than maybe they were in the past. So it's kind of a confluence of, you know, guys wanting to get out of college earlier to save the miles on their body. And then also the NFL willing to take some more time to develop these guys younger because a lot of underclassmen being drafted all along the board. So uh, it more it's it's starting to mirror the NBA a little bit more than it used to. And, and that makes a lot of sense when you think about the physical nature of football. Yeah. And, and you know, Geno Stone, probably a guy who even if he had come back this year and had a really good season, uh, probably doesn't move way up in, in the draft stock, so so a smart move by him. Uh, do you think the Ravens is a good fit for him? Yeah, I do. Uh, you, you, you know, anybody who follows the NFL knows that that's a defensive-oriented team yep. with a history of, of developing defense defensive players um, so I think that's a good spot for him and again uh, you know he goes there and uh, Christian Welch who we'll talk about it later as the free goes there as a free agent it's interesting the teams that look at Iowa guys Marshall Yonda just retired from there recently uh, I think they had Carl Davis on the roster for a while Baltimore is one of those teams uh, with John Harbaugh that really likes the Iowa players so I think that's a good spot for Gino. Very very cool, and then uh, maybe my favorite pick of this draft. I was just I was worried that it wasn't going to come as we got later and later, but I was so glad to see Nate Stanley get drafted by the Vikings, thirtieth uh, pick in the seventh round, two hundred forty fourth overall, um, and, and it seems like a good fit for for Nate to go up and, and be Kirk Cousins' backup, and and who knows in a few years um, with some NFL coaching, and as you said, twenty four hours a day working on on his craft and his game, getting out of the school part of it, um, you know, could be I, is a guy that I could see, you know, having a, a good NFL career. Really happy to see Nate Stanley get taken. Yeah, I am too. And I think he's another guy that's helped that helped himself with the combine. And uh 
it's from from listening to Nate's interview with uh, the Minnesota media, the Vikings media. He had kind of throughout this whole process had a pretty good relationship with Minnesota and they showed interest early and just kind of almost recruited him or built a relationship with him through this off season. So it seems like a good spot. It seems like there was general, you know, there was a general, uh, a genuine attraction there by the Vikings coaching staff and personnel people to Nate Stanley, 73 miles, I think from his hometown in yeah. Menominee, Wisconsin. So some people I saw joking on Twitter, he could probably commute from his, you know, from Wisconsin up to the <laughs> twin cities. I'm sure he'll move up there once, once, uh, you know, things open up again from the pandemic, but a good spot spot for him a really good guy to learn from Kirk Cousins is a is a, a down-to-earth humble type guy I think that will take Nate under his, his wing and Nate you know I, I heard some of the guys uh Daniel Jeremiah uh some of the guys uh that analyzed the the the, the pick on um on television this weekend and I think they have it you know they nailed it Nate is a guy who can make all the throws he, he's got a, a cannon for an arm it's just him being more consistent and be able being able to make plays off schedule when he gets pressured the, the play breaks down that's the thing that he's got to learn to be able to do to be able to deal with pressure a little bit better and make those throw consistently make those throws and now like we talked about Andrew with the ability to work on it 24/7 I think there's a real chance there that he he makes a mark and and is able to to stick in the league. Well, Nate joins C.J. Beathard and Ricky Stanzi as quarterbacks drafted under Ferentz. If you add Jake Rudock to that, who obviously transferred to Michigan and was drafted out of Michigan, that's four of the last five starters at quarterback for the Hawkeyes to, to be taken in the NFL draft. That's a nice little run too, Rob. Yeah, it is. And I, I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see. We've talked about this before going forward now with the NFL going more to, you know, the Lamar Jackson and, and uh, Kyler Murray types that, you know, will guys it, coming out of a pro style system. I think they'll always be a, uh, they'll always be a home for them. And, you know, I, I think I will still be able to produce guys that go into the league, but there won't be as many spots. So it'll be interesting to see going forward, but Iowa, yeah, Iowa's done a, a really good job and CJ has been able to stick. Hopefully we, we see the same with Nate. That's now 75 draft picks under Kirk Ferentz. So check my math on this, but that's what three and a half, <laughs> three and a half or so every season that that's that's pretty good out of a developmental program like like Iowa to do that on just a regular basis and in in year 21 for Kirk Ferentz I tweeted this and it's just it's still it's hard for me to even get my wrap my head around in in year 21 Kirk Ferentz won 10 games and put five guys into the NFL draft not 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 too shabby for a 21st season for for an aging coach Rob no and and things are trending the right way Andrew I think it was 2010 to 2012 12 drafts, Iowa had 18 guys drafted. The last two drafts, Iowa's had nine guys drafted. So if you're looking at chunks of, you know, periods of time where Iowa's really done a good job of producing, you know, talent that gets drafted. I was kind of in that cycle again, in that window again. So we'll have to see what happens. And I'm actually 
to, to uh, promote a piece for Hawkeye Nation. I'm working today on guys that are coming back whenever next season happens to be with a chance to get drafted or, or make it into the league. So I'm hoping to hoping to have that done today and either post it tonight or tomorrow morning. Guys that are coming back and, uh, you know, guys like uh, Alaric Jackson, Chauncey Golston, Amir Smith-Marset, guys like that. Guys that uh, we'll hopefully be talking about at this time next year. Yeah, will Matt Hankins become the next defensive back to, to yes. head of the NFL? Uh, that, that's a uh... That, that's that's good. I'm, I'm glad to hear you're working on that piece, and maybe that's something we can dive into a little bit a week from now uh, yeah. on this podcast. Uh, how about some other guys who have signed deals? I know you got a, a story up on the site, um, and, and not, not everybody who plays in the NFL or has great NFL careers comes through the draft. And I know several uh, Hawkeyes have signed kind of uh, undrafted free agent deals with several teams. Yeah, and if and if you look at it, Andrew, there are uh, guys that are of recent. I mean, throughout Kirk Ferentz's 21 years, there have been undrafted free agents uh, that have had really nice careers in the NFL. And just recently, um, you talk about a guy like uh, Ben Neiman for the Kansas City Chiefs who just won a Super Bowl. He was an undrafted free agent who, you know, played at linebacker and helped them on special teams this past season. You know, Nick Easley, Jake Gervas, Ross Reynolds, all guys in the last several years that have have latched on and, and Made, you know, got themselves into the NFL after going undrafted, and Iowa had three uh, that have signed so far. And it's interesting. I wonder if this process will be a little bit slower than in past years yeah. because of the pandemic and not having those pro days. This is where got you know the the free agents often get lo- noticed most at the pro days, and Iowa not having the pro day obviously hurt their chances. But Christian Welch, uh, starting middle linebacker this past year, uh, will as we talked about earlier, will be going to Baltimore as a free agent. Um, Nate Weeding, uh, tight end. Iowa's been pretty pretty good at putting tight ends into the league. Uh, has latched on with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, and then defensive ta- tackle Cedric Lattimore is headed out to Seattle. Um, Talked to those guys and, put, as you said, posted a story on the site. So they talk about uh, getting their shot in the league. And, uh, you know, Iowa prepares guys for the league. It's just it's something that we've seen through the years. So I would not underestimate these guys going uh, to these camps whenever they happen and, and earning spots on the roster. Welch is an interesting guy for me, Andrew. Uh, he reminds me a little bit of Ben Neiman in that he's a long athletic linebacker that can run sideline to sideline and also help you in four phases of special teams and and with a 53-man roster in the nfl when you have a guy that can do multiple things like that there's a, a there's a lot of value in that how important do you think you, you cover recruiting pretty heavily, and, and we'll we'll talk about a couple of commitments Iowa has, and uh, you can you know do your prospect pods and, and all that stuff on on HawkeyeNation.com. But how important do you think draft success is to recruiting success? Is, is there a is there a straight line there? There's definitely a correlation there, particularly if you see guys being drafted at your position. Like Iowa, this in this 2020 class, brought in Elijah Yelverton, who, who enrolled in January, a Texas tight end. Uh, obviously, he had to go back home. Uh, and then Luke Lachey out of Ohio, two really good tight ends after the, the year after 
TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant went first round. So especially in those early rounds when you see guys, but I think this year even helps them more because as we talked about at the top, how much exposure this draft got, Iowa having five guys being drafted, it can't hurt. And I certainly think it helps. And there is no doubt when I do these recruiting stories and you can read them on the site, often I put in there, you know, what, what do you like about Iowa and their ability to put guys in the pros is one of the first things that comes up and the facilities and coach Doyle and things like that. But guys coming from high school, going to college, their dream is to play at the next level. It's really cool. Uh, so, so we did mention a couple of commitments last week uh, for the Hawkeyes. One of them from uh, from my backyard here in, here in Urbandale, Rob. I was, I was happy to see that. Yeah, without question. Max Llewellyn, a guy who some teams liked at tight end, Iowa likes at defensive end. And I think uh, – and you can read the stories on these guys on Hawkeye Nation. We did interviews with these guys after they committed. But uh, Max Llewellyn, uh, you know, 6'5", 230 – kind of what I you've seen I would do a lot recently probably in the last five years is get these guys their athletic multiple multiple position guys versatile guys get them on get them on the bus as Norm Parker used to say and then you find a seat for him and Max Llewellyn is one of those guys he's a guy uh like we talked about could play tight end could play defensive end just a really versatile athletic kid who really whose recruitment really picked up in the last few months i mean you're talking about a kid who hardly had any offers coming into this year or this calendar year offered by penn state offered by northwestern offered by nebraska missouri michigan state kansas state kansas iowa state this is a really good pickup jay neiman who (laughs) interesting we talked about ben neiman his dad who's on the iowa staff is who who led this recruitment for iowa um and really sold the vision of this guy and and talking to max he's seen the success that iowa's had at defensive end we talked about um uh Nelson, we talked about Epinesa. We talked about, you know, Chauncey Golston next year. We talked about Parker Hesse. Iowa's had a, you know, Drew Ott. Iowa's had a real, a lot of success at the defensive end position and putting guys into the league from that position. Max Llewellyn saw that vision for him and sees that as a place where they can develop him into a player that could potentially play at the next level. So really nice pickup there. Guy that was picking up steam in recruiting and Iowa was able to to uh, to secure that commitment and hopefully uh, keep the keep the, <laughs> the other programs away uh, for you know until he signs on that dotted line in December. Yeah, going to be really interesting to see how this whole uh, this whole off season obviously uh, progresses. Um, just there's just so much up in the air, so much unknown. When these guys will actually get to campus, uh, when the season will actually start, and any of that that sort of thing. Uh, man, it's it's been so good to talk football. It, it feels like it's been a long time since we like really sat down and had a, a real long football conversation. Anything we missed there, Rob, before uh, we move on to some basketball news? I'll just add in the other verbal commitment from yeah. last week, Bo Stevens, the offensive lineman from Blue Springs, Missouri, uh, alma mater of one Liddell Betts. So Iowa goes uh, back. A, a really solid program in the state of Missouri. He's an offensive lineman uh, who a lot of schools were after. Uh, 6'6", 305 already. Uh, still has a year of high school <laughs> remaining. Uh, to think of somebody being Jeez. that big with a year of high school remaining. So uh, Iowa triple team this kid. Uh, Kelton Copeland recruits 
coached the Kansas City area for Iowa. He was the lead guy. Then uh, Tim Polasek, the offensive line coach, also really heavily involved there. Uh, and then Kirk Ferentz also jumped in. So that gives you an idea of uh, what they think of Bo. Uh, guy who had offers from Indiana, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, LSU, mm. Louisville, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, Oklahoma State, Texas A&M, West Virginia. Holy so three-star, but when you look at that offer list, that's kind of a four-star offer list. A uh, kid that I think could play either inside or out. Uh, I think they'll probably get a look outside first, but uh, really good pickup. I was done really, really well in this recruiting class so far, Andrew. When you talk about it, that's the fourth kid that they've had verbally commit since the pandemic started. Wow. And uh, so they're up to 11 commitments in this class. This class from a team ranking and take this for what it's worth stars don't mean anything rankings don't mean anything you hear that often but if you follow this stuff there there is com- correlation when you do well in recruiting to these guys panning out on the field according to rivals.com right now now, Iowa's 2021 recruiting class with 11 commitments so far, ranked 12th nationally <laughs> so far. We'll see how it pans out, but really good start for Iowa. And when you consider four guys verbally committing during the pandemic, Iowa coaches are doing work. And again, 21 years under Kirk Ferentz, and, and somehow this program is, is still on the rise and, and in a really, really good spot uh, pretty much on, on, all, on all fronts right now. Uh, things, are, things are going well. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I uh, did get some some news over the weekend for basketball. I think some good news and, and maybe not unexpected. As, as you and I talked a couple of weeks ago, obviously Luca Garza will test the NBA waters and uh, not really sure what to expect from him. But we had talked about the fact that you can only what you can only go test the NBA waters twice and then come back to school with eligibility remaining. And we were wondering what Joe Wieskamp would do as, as he had tested the waters after his freshman season, uh, decided not to do that this year. He won't go through the process this process this year. Uh, he, he will come back for his junior season. And I think a, a smart move, especially if, if you're going to have one year where you can't do this, this is probably that year because we just don't know what this whole process is going to look like. I think as of now, I think it's still June 3rd that, that players have to then pull their name back out and, and come back to school. But you, you have to think, if things don't start to get back to normal in the next week or two, they're going to have to extend that date a little bit. But then you can't extend that too much because you don't want the college teams uh, kind of out in the wind there either. So it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. But I do think it was a smart move for, for Joe Wieskamp to say, all right, you know what, I'm not going to test the waters this year. I'm coming back to Iowa for my junior season. There are things I need to work on. Uh, and, and he cited how excited he was for this upcoming season yeah and i think you stated it well andrew that 
just with so many unknowns right now, it really wasn't worth the risk with Joe having one more opportunity to go through this process. Uh, Rick Brown, uh, who works for Hawkeye Nation, talked to Fran uh, earlier in the process, and he Fran felt like Joe would go through the process, but I just think there were too many unknowns out there. I thought he would too. I tweeted out that I thought he would go through the process one more time, but as you said, just, just not knowing, you know, we We've seen some stories about them pushing the draft back to August. Then obviously that would push, uh, most likely push the announcement date from when you have to withdraw back. But just not enough uh, certainty there for Joe. Um, so I think, like you said, I think it's a wise move for him to come back where he probably would have went through the process and re- turned anyway so why not just focus on next season whenever that may be uh and working out and getting better at that way and cutting out the unknown i guess the anxiety of not knowing what's going on out there and um yeah and i and i i think this is uh you know it kind of gives him some closure to move on to the next step of his career and um I think he's going to have a really good junior. That's just me. And I know, again, Homerism, but <laughs> I, I think he's going to be really motivated by some of the struggles he had at the end of his sophomore year. Um, and I think, you know, being an upperclassman, the referees knowing him now, I think some of the things that may, maybe some opponents got away with this year and clutching and grabbing and being physical with him, uh, I hope. I hope with him having a bit of a reputation and moving up into, uh, you know, being an, an upperclassman, he's going to get some of those calls moving forward and maybe uh, get a little bit more freedom of movement, which we're told that they're supposed to have anyway. Yeah, what, what do you think uh, is is that kind of the big thing he needs to work on then this offseason? And I guess that's not necessarily a thing that he needs to work on, but it, it, it certainly – uh, you know, late in the in his sophomore season, um, it got away from him a little bit, and I think it probably got into his head a little bit too. You could see some of that uh, late in the season. But uh, do you just kind of chalk that up to a, a rough end to his his sophomore year, uh, or is it something? Is there something specific he needs to work on in in your mind uh, before next season? Yeah, Andrew, I think literally or figuratively, not literally, he needs a counter punch. And that is being stronger and being able to get off of those defensive tactics. I brought brought that up with Fran in a press conference and he said, oh, you call them tactics. And I said, "Ah, (laughs) that's the only word that I have. I mean, you know, when you're doing when you're clutching and grabbing a guy consistently when he's coming off screens or just trying to move without the ball. You have to come up with a way to counter that if the referees aren't going to call it. So if he gets stronger, which I think he will, he'll be another year older, more time in the weight room. He'll be able to get off of those, those uh, you know, get, get <laughs> counter those tactics a little bit. And I think that will help him. I think just being physically stronger will help him get open. And then and, he- um, and, and and I think he will, and I, and I think I think he's going to have a really good junior year, Andrew. I, I agree, I, and I I really hope so. He's such a likable kid, uh, and you really just hope for the best for him. And so you, you look ahead, then you got to. I guess guess that the starting five for the Hawkeyes next season will be Jordan Bohannon, C.J. Frederick, Joe Wieskamp, Connor McCaffrey, and hopefully Luca Garza as the starting five uh, with you know what Joe Toussaint, Jack Nungy, Patrick McCaffrey hopefully uh, coming off the bench, and then uh, five freshmen coming in. Uh, I know. 
Ulis and, and others hope to make a you know kind of an immediate impact. But man, this season, I, I would never wish football season away, Rob. And I, I hope we have a full football season. I hope it starts on time, and I hope it's great. But man, please just let us have a full basketball season. I'm I'm so excited for this team uh, to 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 see what they can do. There's going to be so much hype going into this season. You go, you already see it in the way national writers are talking about him. The way uh, they, they are coming up in in top tens. Uh, the way that they are maybe the favorite to win the Big Ten. Um, it's all just lining up to be a really, really special winter in Iowa City. Yeah, and you look at it, Andrew, and I'm just hoping um, that this next year will be, what, my 24th year, I think, covering Iowa football and basketball. So through the years, and I'm sure there are exceptions, we come into years and there's hype and it expectations how many times does it feel like we fall short of those yeah i'm just hoping that this team can buck the trend and i think it can just not only based on you know and there are the you know those those variables that are uncontrollable health things like that but um the the what i saw this year from this team in terms of mental toughness um, chemistry, some of those things, that, some of those intangibles. I think this group has it, and I think that's the type of thing that you need to be able to live up to the hype and the expectations. I, I would agree, and I think that's why you know you see Luca Garza in his statement that that he's going to test the waters. Uh, you know, in all caps, essentially saying, "Hey, I'm I'm keeping my eligibility. Uh, this is a team that that they think can can make a big run." And and I think also a team that feels like they were um, they they had something stolen from them this year. I think they they felt like they could go into not just the Big Ten tournament but the NCAA tournament and really make some noise. I think they thought uh, get on neutral courts with some neutral refereeing out of the Big Ten, out of the kind of uh, bar fight that is every night in the Big Ten. And, and there was nobody in the country that they were afraid of. And I think rightfully so. And I think that's going to be the case going in, into this season. And as you said, and we talked about it all, all season. It felt replicatable what they were able to do. It, it wasn't fluky. Uh, they all just played their roles. And if they can come back and do that again, and then you've got a guy with just ice in his veins like Jordan Bohannon who can who can shoot and score the way that he does. And you have Luca Garza doing what he does, which again feels like he could do it again. Um, as you said, I just hope... Because man, it'll be a real kick to the stones if if it all falls apart somehow, <laughs> right? Yeah, and 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 to to circle back to Joe Wee's camp again, a healthy Bohan and, and healthy C.J. Frederick open things up for Definitely. Joe too. I mean, that will help Joe immensely. And I and we talk about it on this podcast, and I think what gets lost sometimes is. With college athletes, they get better year to year. So if you just say just, you know, natural incremental growth by each individual on this team and then collectively another year of playing together, we don't see that a lot in college basketball where you have veteran guys. Guys leave, you know, a lot of the Blue Blood programs, their guys leave after one or two years. This is going to be a really veteran team. It's going to be unusual in college basketball. Um so yeah, a lot of things to uh, a lot of things to when you look at this team to feel really good about the chances of it have of it being a special season. Absolutely. All right, Rob. A lot going on at Hawkeye Nation still. I know you got prog. Uh, Pod, <laughs> Easy for you to pods, say. Prospect pods. <laughs> you got a mailbag pod coming up this week. What what else should people be looking for on the site? 
Yeah, we've got uh, I've got a, um, a Hawkeye history podcast that I'll post tomorrow with uh, John Loudermilk. Awesome. Um, and his dad, Kirk, played for with the Vikings and the Colts for a long time uh, and he was a starting safety back here uh, the early part of last decade and uh, just a great interview he's a fun fun guy with great stories uh, including uh, his relationship with Jim Harbaugh who played with the Colts with his dad um, so some funny stuff there <laughs> I won't give it away. I'm going to make you guys listen to the podcast, nice. but some good stuff there. Uh, I talked about the um, the, uh, the the story on, on looking ahead to uh, NFL draft prospects for that are on the roster coming back on the Iowa roster next year. Um, I'm not sure what Rick Brown's got cooking. I have to check in with him today, but uh, yeah, we'll have uh, plenty of content. Like I like we've said, we've we've been pumping about two, three pieces of content, original content a day on the site. So encourage people to to give us a, a look. And uh, as always, it's free of charge. Absolutely. Rob, this has been fun. Thank you for uh, carrying me last week, but it's good to be back, and uh, and we'll, we'll talk to everybody uh, a week from now. Sounds good, Andrew. Good to have you back, and we'll talk to people next week. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening, and go Hawks.